Hey everybody, welcome to a new episode of The Cusp Show, the Columbia University Sports Podcast, where we talk about the business of sports, something we usually do with our partner Joe Favorito, but Joe is unavailable today. Uh, so I'll be doing this solo because we've got a guest from out of town, and this was the only time that worked, so I appreciate uh, his flexibility. Uh, happy to have him here. So we've talked a lot on the show over the last few years about the disruption in media and the ascension of what is often called Gen Z media and how it's disrupting the legacy business that we've come to know in the sports world over these last couple of decades. And I think it's become a hotter topic in uh, the, in 2019 for sure, especially as we enter a new year and a new decade, because I think everybody's finally starting to realize how influential it is in the way it's being done, in the way it's being marketed, the way it's being monetized, the way it's being received by the next generation of sports fans. So it's a really fascinating topic. I know the times that we've talked about it in my class with outside speakers or even just topically in the context of the syllabus, it's one of the more interesting topics to discuss because it really gets to the heart of the sports media business, like where is it all going uh, in the 2020s. So I am really thrilled to have an expert in this area who's visiting New York right now. We've got Brian Verne, who's the co-founder and CEO of Wave Sports. Is that the official name? Wave Sports? How do you usually call it? Ah, just Wave. Wave. Wave TV. Okay, Wave TV, Wave Sports. We'll get all the info, yeah. contact info later. But Brian, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate you having me. We really appreciate making time for us while you're in New York City. Sorry the weather was so crappy, but that's, <laughs> what, you, that's what you get in December. That's, that's true. Yeah, from I'm, Cleveland. I'm used to it. Yeah, okay, cool. So we'll have to keep remembering that that's reference. Right. So you're only about two years old, yep. correct? Um, I want to get the origin story of Wave in a minute, but just let's get some context about uh, yourself and your background. Uh, I know you were a college baseball player I was. in Ohio at Oberlin. And by the way, I think this is the first time we've ever had anyone from Oberlin on the show, so that's cool. There you go. Uh, so it's a nice, uh, nice change. Uh, <laughs> but you played college baseball, which is great, and I gather that uh, reflected your interest in sports yeah. and maybe gave, a, gave us a little bit of an idea as to what you wanted to do career-wise. But tell us like, kind of how that all worked out and how it led to the creation of Wave. Yeah, um, you know, so you know, as you mentioned, I've I you know, was fortunate enough to play ball for, for four years. Uh, at what Oberlin. position? I was a left fielder mainly. Okay. Um, at one point, I was I was pretty fast, but uh, in any event, you know, I finished school about ten years ago now, and you know, sport was uh, it was always such a big p- part of my life. Um, you know, starting off, uh, you know, personally, and now, you know, certainly professionally. And I think, you know, at the time, if I think about it, um, you know, retrospectively. You know, when you're an athlete your whole life and then all of a sudden you're done and you're not playing, you don't have anything to train for, you're kind of looking for this, you know, alternative arena in which to compete. And, um, you know, it's certainly not the same thrill per se, but, um, you know, if I think about, you know, the move or the transition over into entrepreneurship, uh, it really is this um, alternative playing field, so to speak, mm-hmm. uh, in which you get to compete and, you know, hopefully more often than not, you, know, you get you, know, you get to win. And so uh, right after I finished school, I was really naive. Uh, you know, some might say clueless about what I wanted to do. <laughs> it's okay. Um, Most of us were. <laughs> uh, so, and, and I probably still am. Um, and, and so I moved back to Cleveland where I'm from and kind of got into the 
entrepreneurial world or, or, or landscape there at, at the time. Did you do that consciously? Did you, did you have, was there a part of you that knew you liked the idea of being an entrepreneur as opposed to getting quote a job, a normal job? Uh, I, I guess like I, I think I come from a pretty entrepreneurial family okay. and not. And did you have entrepreneurial leanings as a young guy, like in high school or college? Did you do entrepreneurial things? I know you were probably busy with baseball, but I don't. I don't know. I, I, like it's it's like kind of this question that's often asked: like, are entrepreneurs <laughs> born or are they made? Do you feel like you were born or made? I feel like if I think about it now, I'm 32. Thinking about it, like thinking back on it, I feel like it was probably like in my DNA. Okay. Instead of not many people. I'm, in my family that have done the uh, or taken you know, kind of the straight and narrow route mm-hmm. um, everyone has you know, really done things probably outside the proverbial box mm-hmm. so you know when I think about it you know, in that sense it, um, you know going that down the entrepreneurial path uh, probably seems a bit natural but I so I was back in Cleveland at the time and I had no idea what I wanted to do and um, a couple good friends of mine and I thought that it would be a great idea to try to become the next Kevin Plank in Under Armour and create this athletic apparel brand, which is probably one of the most difficult things um, you can possibly get into, uh, particularly not knowing a damn thing about supply <laughs> chain or manufacturing yeah. or, or, or anything. Um, and so uh, we probably need a lot more time for me to talk you through <laughs> the whole backstory and origins of, of that. But we ended up making a little bit of money there, um, which then ended up using to fund the beginning of this business called Phenom, which you know was kind of the beginning of starting to do things really at the intersection of young athletes and young sports fans and building communities and really being ear to the ground with you know the young consumer mm-hmm. and their changing behaviors. Um, that was meant to be a platform for mainly high school athletes to share their stories. Uh, interestingly enough, not like terribly dissimilar to you know some of the origins of you know of overtime, who's mm-hmm. also in our in our space, and mm-hmm. so you know one thing led to another, and, and and started getting some traction with that business. Um, ended up moving from Cleveland to the Bay Area to go through the 500 Startups Venture Accelerator wow. for, for Phenom or for, for the for panel. Phenom, yeah, for okay. Phenom, yeah. Well, that's impressive that um, you got that, and yeah, you know, we did you some were really, selected for that. It wasn't yeah. like you just walk in and say, "I'm here." Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. The reason I tell you this whole backstory because yeah. it, it leads up to yeah, sure. how mm-hmm. how Wave actually uh, came to fruition. Um, yeah, but one one thing led to another with that. We you know, we built up a community of hundreds of thousands of high school athletes. But candidly, we didn't quite understand how to monetize it. But we were super eager to the ground, and we felt like we had a front row seat to how uh, that young fan or that young that young consumer was consuming content now now we're talking like 2015 so uh, overtime was was obviously new at the time they had launched probably yeah they okay. launched this very similar app yeah mm-hmm. um to what we were doing right. uh which is which is interesting i think there's a lot of parallels that you know certainly dan or, or, or zach uh can probably draw from a lot of those experiences but um shortly after i moved to sf um and I think everything kind of comes full circle with this idea of like the power of sport uh, bringing people together. I was in an Uber pool with a couple random guys who I'd never met before. And we were talking about sports and he's, and the one guy's like, oh, do you want to come you know, to my house party tomorrow? We're, we're having some people over. I'm like, sure, why not? Like, 
I didn't know a damn you know person that didn't. In, in, uh, it's a in friendly this. Uber pool you're in there. Oh yeah, right. <laughs> uh, and so I go to this house party, and um, me being the proud Clevelander that I am, um, was ranting and raving about LeBron. And this random guy turns around, uh, and he's like, "Hey, are you from Cleveland?" I'm like, "Yeah, you know, I just moved out here, so on and so forth." Um, and uh, you know, I'm doing this and that, and he's like, "Oh, I'm from, you know, I'm from Cleveland too," and uh, turned out to be my co-founder in Wave, um, Ishan Zutaria. And so uh, Ishan and I became friendly, actually started working together a bit um, on Phenom at the time while we were in 500 startups. And we both you know, came back to some of the same theses around you know, this changing sports media landscape and ultimately you know, Wave was born. So that's oh the last God, 10 years really of my funny. life and hopefully in that show. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> So did, did he have a complementary skill set or perspective to yours that made him a good co-founder? Yeah, you know, he had spent some time um, uh, on the analytics team at, at, um, at Rocket Fuel and then also was running analytics at VentureBeat, you know, okay. the, the, the mm -hmm. digital publisher, um, and has more of, I think, generally a, a finance uh, analytics and, and operations background. Um, my background is, you know, as I mentioned, just very much entrepreneurial right. and, uh, you know, felt like, you know, had an ability to, to kind of see what was going on in the market and, right. and then, um, you know, drive products and experiences from right. that. Okay. So, so you had this idea about Phenom. Yeah. It started to grow, but you couldn't figure out a monetize yeah, yeah, really yeah. scale it. Yeah. Sounds like. Yeah. You were watching what was happening with mm -hmm. Overtime, yep. House of Highlights, et cetera. Mm -hmm. You saw what was happening on the platforms, I assume, as, as part of that. Mm -hmm. What was the moment? What was the impetus to actually look at your partner uh, and say, "Let's let's go for it. Let's start a new business. Let's raise capital," because that's that's a big decision, obviously. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I think the, the the crux of it is we saw, you know, what I think of as this kind of once in a generation opportunity to build a you know modern day sports media holding company, and you know most simple level um you know it's a byproduct of the way that young people are watching and talking about sports it's just fundamentally different than you know my experience as a kid you know not mm -hmm. watching television right. not going to you know your destination but are spending all of their time on what we think of as maybe the six to ten you know core and emerging digital platforms mm -hmm. so from our vantage point you know we felt like it was abundantly clear that you know to build a winner in this space uh, the solution should um, be to develop brands and build audience and develop content and programming for those platforms where those young fans live um, with uh, you know a starting point on Instagram but then you know moving on to all the other platforms to be kind of ubiquitous in that sense right so Brian I know um, having read the fast company mm -hmm. article that uh, was just published on you guys a couple weeks ago yeah which oh, that was a great press, by the way. Thanks. Um, interesting, and I showed uh, Jackson and Roddy uh, that uh, you talk about the attention economy, yep. which is one of the key concepts that we talk about in my class and the competitiveness with mm -hmm. media and the long tail and blah, 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 and all that. Were you actually strategically sussing this out beyond just some observations? Like, did you actually sit down and analyze this and think about um, the, the process that you're going to take to to build something that could truly compete? Because it sounds like it must have been a little harrowing at the beginning because there's so much competition, obviously. Um, 
Like, did you re- really research yeah, the market? I, I mean, I, th- I think yes, but equally as important, it had been um, like a front seat observer to a lot of things that were happening for mm-hmm. many, many years. And so for us, uh, you know, we, you know, I hate to say the solution was obvious because you know, I think that diminishes you know, everything that's gone into to building this and, and all the great work that our team has done. But um, I think it was kind of as simple as perceiving what was happening around you in the right. world. And I think that too often, especially in the sports world, um, people kind of overanalyze things and uh, they sometimes take themselves you know, too seriously. And you know, we were like, shit, man, like, <laughs> right. how are kids consuming content now? Right. And where are they? Okay, they're here, 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 and here. I'm gonna go there, yeah. and that, and that's what it is okay, at the most basic that's fair. level. Yeah. So, for the uninitiated, why don't you just give kind of the elevator pitch, describing what it is yep. uh, briefly, and then I have questions about it specifically about how you've chosen the distributed media model and how, according to the yep. Fast Company article, you have ambitions to, to be bigger and, yep. and better. Yeah. So yeah, in, in short, we've developed. Um, a pretty wide array of sports-focused brands that you know live entirely across what we think of as the core and emerging digital platforms where young fans are going for their content. You know, those being Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, you know, TikTok, YouTube, mm-hmm. et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. Um, probably one of the things that's you know a bit different um, for us than you know, yes, some others in the space per, per se is our breadth of coverage so you know our thesis was to develop a brand around all subsets of fandom from you know basketball to football to american football to baseball to hockey uh to even at the team level you know thinking about you know fandom uh, across nba franchises mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. nfl or major league baseball um, so on and so forth um you know i think as is referenced in the article you know we reach hundreds of millions of people every single month across these platforms you know, do several billion views uh, every single month and have quietly become one of the larger digital media holding yeah, companies incredible. You know, in the world, not just within sports. Just just drill down for a second on what you mean by the specific brand. So let's take uh, Cleveland, a city yep. you know and love yep. uh, with a big sports um, thing going on. Um, so you're talking about like a, a dedicated channel, let's say for Browns football. Correct. Or Cavaliers basketball. Correct. Okay, Correct. right, okay. Um, so, and that would be... Just describe to the audience what that looks like in terms of the creator network and how you're actually sourcing the content. Because mm-hmm. um, this is this is the mystifying part, I think, for traditional <laughs> media executives. Yeah. Like, where's all this stuff coming from? And um, you know, we're familiar here with uh, Overtime, who's been mm-hmm. a friend of the programs, yeah. and, and also they've been in the class and have done podcasts. So I assume it's similar to that. But but again, for the uninitiated, just describe that. What is so, so you think of something like Brown, something like who starts feeding you content? How do you recruit people? Uh, I mean, I, I think for us, you know, we took this approach that, you know, we, you know, wanted to really democratize storytelling and, and content creation. And, you know, traditionally you would have a newsroom where everything was kind of centralized there uh, and, talking really high infrastructure costs. Mm-hmm. And um, I think most importantly for this generation, 
a you know an output or or or, or content rather that's not really in line with, with what they want to see and so we think of of you know our newsroom um, being really representative of this whole emerging talent class of storytellers these are you know aspiring creatives you know, digital producers you know video editors many of whom are a part of that Gen Z and millennial mm-hmm. you know demo um, you know themselves so you know while we have now about you know 35 or so full-time employees you know most of whom are on the content and production side we're also able to tap into many thousands of, of creators worldwide um, again these are uh, everyone from athletes themselves to um, you know aspiring storytellers producers editors etc mm-hmm. yeah so and and you are then having them essentially sign up into your network are you giving them some sort of platform to publish on kind of like the SB nation style or even I think overtime has a has a has a little bit of a, a thing going with a, a platform approach in other words if I'm one of the contributors to the Browns yeah. football and I'm in I'm in your creator network am I going on a wave platform or am I literally just sending you my videos we started to you know kind of operationalize it and really build um, I think some of the necessary like core infrastructure for it um, I would say that you know, you'll see more and more f- from uh, from us in that regard. Mm-hmm. You know, as we continue to scale, you know, we see a, a world where you know we can tap into many, many more thousands of, right. of, of storytellers and right. you know really give them a platform to, to have a voice. Right. So let's let's take a specific game and, and just take us through how that works with the different components. So um, you were at the Steelers Browns game the I other was. day. Um, <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh, we know the result. But um, what's going on behind the scenes for that Browns content machine? Like, who's doing what, and how's how's it getting posted, and what's the timing and everything? Because it seems like one of the key differentiators is going back to your point about mm-hmm. the centralized newsroom mm-hmm. is that stuff is happening much more quickly. Yeah. I know when we talk to um, our friend Buster Shear, who does Hoops Nation, he was talking about putting out videos usually within one minute of a mm-hmm. highlight being created or something like that like that timing was of the essence is that part of it so take us through kind of like yeah. a brown Steelers game like um, what you got to do I think certainly timing and, and context is is um, you know is, is part of it uh, but I think more you know generally or broadly speaking to be successful in these in these mediums it's really about your format and your mm-hmm. voice mm-hmm. and being able to uh, you know have a voice and tone that that resonates with that you know with that young consumer right uh, and I think that's sometimes more important than anything right but you still need to make sure that the contributors that you bring into your mm-hmm. network have that skill oh for to, sure to capture that for tone. Sure. it's not like you can get everybody who wants to contribute for sure. so you're vetting everything absolutely yeah okay absolutely. to be clear um, so you're talking about um, the model you've been describing that's that's referenced in the article is what's often called the distributed media network mm-hmm. model, meaning it's all going out through third party on the platforms, mm-hmm. as you mentioned. So there's the good and the bad and the ugly of distributed media, which mm-hmm. you're, you're well aware of. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about that for a minute vis-a-vis brand building for the long term and monetization and marketing in the nearer term, if you know what I yep, mean. Yep. So, so ultimately, just to, to frame it a little bit mm-hmm. more, these are not your customers per se. You have 
kind of the customers through Snapchat, TikTok, et cetera, um, you are getting data on them, you're monetizing them to some degree, mm-hmm. but as the article points out, and you had, I thought, a good answer for this, you are subject to the whims and changes of the platforms mm-hmm. who are not in business to help you. They're in business to help themselves. So talk about that distributed model and how you've kind of found success in that, at least for now, yep. and how that might change as we look towards 2020. Yep. So I'll kind of go back you know, in history a bit to try to frame this. Mm-hmm. And I guess what I mean by that is sports has always, and I think will always be, an indispensable part of people's lives. And so, you know, early on, you know, talking 100 years ago, how would you consume content? Well, it was going to be print or it was going to be radio or, you know, call it Sports Illustrated and you would wait for it to come every single week and you would sit there and you would mm-hmm. read it front to back. And if it didn't come, that would that would suck That's because that was like <laughs> such an important part of your life. Right. Then, you know, you had, uh, no pun intended, but like your next wave of players and you, know, you had the ESPNs and you had the Bleacher Reports and you had Sports Center and you had – you know, Bleacher Reports app and started to get a little bit more focused and kind of team-centric. Uh, and that was such an important and, like, transformational part of people's mm-hmm. lives. Um, and so now you're in this, like, third wave or this next paradigm. And I think that, you know, if players like House of Highlights and, you know, Overtime and Us and ball is life and slam and mars reel and copa 90 and certainly a handful of others if they didn't exist i i ask people a serious question is like how would most young people consume content like they wouldn't Mm -hmm. um and so if you believe that's true and if you believe that you know these core and emerging digital platforms are truly this like next generation of television for uh, gen z and millennials today then for me like there's naturally no other place that I want to be uh, to capture the attention mm-hmm. of those fans. Right. And, but, it, but in terms of how you're dealing with the platforms, mm-hmm. you have to deal with all the terms that you're working under mm-hmm. are their terms, mm-hmm. I gather. Um, and that includes monetization. Mm-hmm. So you are, in effect, uh, always probably a little bit concerned. I want to I ask you, like, what's worrying you? Like, what's, what are big challenges for you right now? But there's got to be that fundamental concern that algorithm changes, uh, rule changes, UI, you know, uh, interface changes, whatever, mm-hmm. can can have a demonstrable effect, sometimes negative, on mm-hmm. any media business. God knows that's been well documented mm-hmm. over the last 10 years. Um, and then on the monetization side, again, you don't always get the ideal terms necessarily when you're new or small. Mm-hmm. So how do you, on, on each side of the equation, uh, kind of on the platform formatting side and on the monetization side how are you handling that um i think like anything you know there's always you know there's always going to be pros and cons and and you know different things that you know you need to weigh when you're making a, a decision uh i mean generally speaking for us just in terms of monetization we you know we've been you know running a profitable business now for um you know for quite some time so I think we've put the right infrastructure in place, you know, to be able to monetize, monetize, excuse me, effectively, mm-hmm. you know, in, in the early days. But yeah, I kind of go back to, you know, what I was mentioning before is, um, I want to be, you know, it's it's you know that uh, kind of cliche saying, but 
I want to be where the puck is going. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to go backwards in time and you know build a destination or my own app or a website which is how a media company has traditionally been built mm-hmm. because I don't see the consumers there and I don't think they're ever going to go back to that way of, of behaving. Yeah, no, agreed, agreed with that point. And in, in terms of the monetization, to be clear, just mm-hmm. to to, um, uh, to to make it understandable for everybody, you're sharing an ad revenue generated by the platform partners Correct. who sell on your behalf Correct. against the content that you deliver. Yep. And then you're also doing some direct... Correct. Advertising sponsorship deals, correct? Yep. So talk about that. How are you getting that done? Because it's not easy to go out to major companies and pitch your business and start getting dollars. Yeah. Uh, it, it's hard for, for all, all media companies. Sure, sure. Uh, particularly small ones. Um, you know, I think in layman's terms, it, it really just kind of boils down to, you know, another earlier point uh, in the sense that sports is and always will and in, be an indispensable part of people's lives all over the world because it truly is you know, one of the only universal languages that, you know, everybody speaks, you know, especially in, in you know, the, the climate of today's world. Um, and so because of that, uh, and really, I mean, and the numbers suggest, you know, uh, so much, I think sports media spend um, will always, you know, remain a, a pretty important part of people's budgets mm-hmm. on the brands and advertising side. Yeah, fair enough. When you look at your competitive set, because mm-hmm. the closest competitor would be over time. Is that fair to say? Uh, yeah, I mean, they're certainly, you know, in a similar space, um, you know, probably with, a, you know, a slightly different focus in a sense. But yeah. I would say a lot of the um, kind of fundamental pillars of their business and what, uh, you know, Dan and Zach believe in, um, I think we would agree with you know, with most, if, if, if not all of it. Right. And then I think, you know, even before us, what, you know, the team at Bleacher Report and House of Highlights has done, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's, you know, certainly some, some strong parallels to what, you know, we've done or what Overtime um, is, is doing. So uh, I think without, you know, other players, um, you know, the ecosystem is, is weaker. I, I kind of think of it and always have as, a kind of rising tides mm-hmm. you know, type type mindset, um, and that's you know kind of the beauty of sports. So when you're when you're talking about these um, very impressive numbers mm-hmm. in terms of the aggregate, I saw on that mm-hmm. shareable. I know you've got a little publicity of shareable, mm-hmm. where you have it on your site, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, where you're recognized as I can't remember the cat the category was described, but the fourth yes. most popular distributed media. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it was distributed yep. media category. That's that's incredible. Um, that is just to be clear. That's an aggregation of the numbers of the, the top line metrics from the from the disparate platforms you're on. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Shareably is is uh, like actions yeah. and engagements. Yeah. In particular. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, are you doing what a lot of good media companies are doing these days, which is looking at the analytics and making going forward decisions based on performance and optimization of stuff you've done previously. Yeah, I mean, I think... Um, I mean, is there, do you have, like, an analytics team that's helping you figure out where you want to go next? I think generally, you know, speaking, and, and Ishan would probably kill me if I, if I didn't mention this, we, you know, we, we've always tried to be, you know, pretty da- data-driven um, about everything that we do. Um, you know, like everything, I think there's... You know, always room for, for improvement, but 
I do think it's you know it's fair to say that um, on a daily basis our team is making pretty informed decisions about you know what content to create and how to format it and where to distribute it and when to distribute it and that uh, is certainly one of the components that has enabled us to um, you know to do pretty well. How are you actually building the brand? Do you invest any money in promotion and advertising? So that's that's a I think a, a big difference for us and so. While you know we have Wave uh, or Wave TV as our kind of flagship un- umbrella brand, really what um, you know we're investing in um, the most, in a sense, is all of our other sub brands. And so uh, Wave is really positioned you know, as this kind of modern day sports media group right, okay. or holding company that powers um, you know many of you know these popular brands you know at the intersection of sports and entertainment right so so name the top few or five or so um i'll give you three of my favorites uh i love bench mob which was a brand that began on snapchat you know as a snap discover partner um recently launched on on instagram as well what's the concept uh, bench mob is the best of amateur sports through the lens of the amateur athlete themselves across the whole gamut of, of amateur sports, everything from you know basketball and football to weightlifting to wrestling to cheerleading. Um, you know, it's a, a, a pretty broad spectrum. Uh, I love Buckets, which is primarily an Instagram-focused basketball brand. It has this kind of irreverent undertone to it, um, a subtle sense of humor, but uh, you know, basketball coverage at its finest. Um, I love our brand um, Jukes, which is a football, American football focused brand. Um, a little bit more of a, of a emphasis on the kind of high school and, and, and college uh, you know, football component. Um, what else? I can go on and on. There's three of them. That's interesting. <laughs> I mean, what you're describing is kind of like what YouTube actually used to call like a multi-channel network. Where, where there's a, a company like Whistle Sports and they mm-hmm. would have trick shots or Dude Perfect or something mm-hmm. like that. So, so the question is, are they finding you and asking to be in your network? Or are you going out and essentially pitching them or recruiting them to join with the promise that being part of a bigger, quote, holding company, like a modern sports media holding company, as you described it, can actually be better for their growth? That has generally so, been the pitch in media or, and so, digital. So I think there's a... You know, kind of delineation here in the sense that you know the brands um, like Benchmob or Buckets or Jukes or Break Ankles Daily, those are all we, we own name. those. Yeah. yeah, Break Ankles Daily is another great one. Um, so we own all of these all of these assets or all of these properties outright. But then alternatively, you have storytellers and you have content okay. creators. That I think so. Those a, were incub. To be clear, those were incubate built and incubated by you. Uh, yeah, m- m- most Buckets of and, yeah, uh, m- yeah. M- most of which. Yeah, you know, we've certainly made some opportunistic acquisitions along right. the way, but um, point being is we own all of our properties, all of our brands outright uh, across all the different platforms, and then we see ourselves as kind of this catalyst of sorts for emerging talent to come to us across all these different disciplines mm-hmm. uh, to come and tell stories with us. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, so I want to give you a quote from the, your article. This is from you, so hopefully is it's it? legit. <laughs> well, you said it, and your name is next to it. Uh, you're talking about how, well, let me just um, give you the exact quote. We think of it as a race to win the attention economy. So we're building all these brands that are ubiquitous across all these platforms where people are spending all their time, says Vern. That's you. Uh, this attention can expand both horizontally, integrating shows that you can license out to other platforms, but probably more important, I think of it as expanding to creating direct-to-consumer lines of businesses, both products and events. Combine that with a healthy advertising-based business, and it becomes a really, re- it becomes really, really compelling. So, that leads me to the question: We're about to start a new year, new decade. Where is this going? What What may this look like a few years down the road if that comes to pass? The last part of that quote. Um. We'll be wearing Wave merchandise. We'll be attending your Wave Cons events and stuff like that. Said, I, I, I don't think it's so much about, um, you know, Wave per se, but yeah, I'll give you a couple analogies. Um, you know, Procter and Gamble or Coca Cola. You know, you go into a supermarket or a convenience store because mm-hmm. you're, you're looking for something to drink or you need some laundry detergent. Well, realistically, all the brands in the aisle are owned by this one holding. Yep. And so as we thought about kind of the long-term vision for this, one of the main reasons you know, we wanted to position ourselves as uh, you know, this holding company or call it modern-day sports media group was to create all these different options and all these unique voices and identities for um, uh, consumers to engage with Mm -hmm. across all the different platforms. And so if you think about it like that, it's really just an investment in the attention at the intersection of sports and entertainment Mm -hmm. for young people, you know, where they're spending their time. Whereas I think traditionally, most media brands try to build one powerful brand and it becomes all about their that's brand. A, that's fair, yeah. Uh, and yeah. I think actually mm-hmm. less about what the consumer actually wants, which is just a great experience. Um, and I believe that every business is a hospitality-based business, and everything you should do uh, should be to delight the consumer, not necessarily yourself. Um, and and so I think we've laid the underpinnings to do that. No, I think it's smart, Brian. And I think you know the, what you're what you're describing. I believe would be called by marketing. Uh, efficient out of this is a house of brands. Correct. That's that's the phrase that's often used, yep. like Procter and Gamble, Lieber exactly. Brothers, etc. So when you go into the aisle and you see Crest, yep. and Tide and Downey, well, yep. that's all P and G. That's right. From Ohio. That's right. Uh, <laughs> right. I worked on that business when I was a young guy in advertising. <laughs> um, but that's an interesting point because. But I will come back to one yeah, yeah, last yeah. question before we start wrapping up, and that is, what what is the connective tissue with those brands in terms of what you're offering? Them. So you have the ones that you like the O and O'd. Yes. You're, what you're describing is like an old-fashioned television network mm-hmm. where you have your O and O'd. Mm-hmm. You know, you have prime time that you have to program. Yeah. You know what I mean, it's it's kind of interesting to think of it that way. Yeah. But what does the connective tissue look like when you're bigger and badder than you are now? Well, look, I assume it'll look different, maybe a little bit more substantial in terms of quote platform-related elements. So, is that fair to say, or yeah. is that my just imagination running away with me? Um, no, I, I, I think that's fair to say. Um, you know, on one hand, you know, these brands are are kind of built and constructed 
to you know each have their own voice and and each have you know their own I- identity and and then naturally area of content focus um, you know on, on the other hand I do think there is this um, kind of same uh, you know underlying tissue you know if you will that you know connects everything and for me I, I kind of summarize it with two words um, you know no pun intended but uh, rising tides mm-hmm. and so everything we do is is a celebration I think of great content and great storytellers all over the world and to me that's like what makes sports 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 storytelling you know beautiful you're able to cover things or you're able to tell stories through a point of view or through a lens or you might do it one way I might do it another way so and so might do it another way um, and while the content or the uh, you know the focus of that narrative might be fundamentally different um, to me that is like this connective tissue across all of our properties mm-hmm. is that we're able to elevate great content or great storytellers and give them a voice and give them a place to live and and you feel as though your your uh, contributors and partners feel that way mm-hmm. like that they, they so. buy into that vision oh uh, yeah I mean because that's obviously important yeah for, as you go out pitch more, more yeah, we, we, we work now with dozens of you know of leagues rights holders okay so that was what, yeah, actually one other point yeah. I want to make so so a lot of what you've described mm-hmm. m- almost all of which of what you've described are, are coming from uh, user-generated content mm-hmm. and, and content contributors content creators uh, etc the network that you have or the O and owed mm-hmm. that you own um, you have relationships with leagues, mm-hmm. correct? Yep. So are they using you like, and I mean that in a good way, mm-hmm. uh, taking advantage of you or capitalizing <laughs> on your asset? Every way I say it sounds bad. Are, are they are they recognizing the fact that they're having trouble with Gen Z in particular and that getting in with a, a company like yours makes sense from a marketing standpoint, fan development standpoint? Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. Um, I think we are... You know, one, we check the box in terms of scale. Uh, equally, if not more importantly, you know, most of our audience is within that Gen Z and and you know millennial mm-hmm. constituency. And then, in, um, not to belabor the point, but you know, then it comes down to you know the formatting and and, and the voice. Right. And so we're able to tell stories in a way, um, in a format, on the platforms where these fans live. And so I think we're swimming, you know, kind of the same direction, you know, or in the yeah. same current as, as, as all of our partners. But what if in, in the sense. case of, uh, uh, let's take the example of, um, you have team-specific uh, properties on your Correct. banner, right? Um, let's say there's something, like we, there, there was the big controversy in Cleveland, the Cleveland-Pittsburgh game, the first game with the, <laughs> with the, with the fight. I don't know assault. what you're talking about. <laughs> Okay, well, it became one of the biggest stories in the media business, uh, and certainly in sports media, about a month ago, whatever it was. But in that case, if you get one of your properties, mm-hmm. I don't. What's the Browns blog? Call, I mean, the Browns property called Browns Wave. Browns Wave. Okay. Yeah. So Browns Wave does something that maybe the league office are they NFL partner of yours, by the way? Uh, not just yet. Okay, so let's say they were. Yeah. But something happens with some of the posts. Uh, with uh, Brown Brown's wave that is not cool in the eyes of the league, you have to back down, or are you asserting an editorial First Amendment independence or something like that? 
I mean, to me, this is a really key question in mm-hmm. what you've been describing. Because, yes, the leagues want the audience. Yes, they want the branding in front of uh-huh. this audience, et cetera. But the reality is the kind of stuff being published is oftentimes at odds from a PR communication standpoint mm-hmm. what the league wants out there, whether it's right or wrong. Yep. It is what it is, um, as I said in The Irishman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just watch that movie. Yeah, so did I. And I'm, that phrase is ringing in my ears. <laughs> it is what it is. You got to go. <laughs> um, I think it's you know, maybe. The I don't mean to put you on the spot, but, but I know way of as a this. former league executive, I know this is a this is a tricky sure, issue. Sure. But I, but I but I think it's really interesting because uh, it, it's there's challenges on both sides of yep. the equation. Yep. But you're the ones that probably have, by dint of the way it's structured, less control, as you admitted. Not admitted, but mm-hmm. it's just part of the, the model. You're not reviewing every post that goes up on Instagram or TikTok around the clock, I, I presume. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, there's, there's certainly a line for us or, you know, a, a gold standard that, you know, that we set in terms of expectations of, anything that you know is published on you know a wave owned you know property and that um it just boils down to you know i think if you're a publisher with this type of scale you need to take that very very seriously and and operate with a lot of integrity mm-hmm. uh i think at the same time um again the beauty of of what we're doing and just of sports storytelling in general is it gives a lot of different types of people the ability to tell a story um, or craft a narrative the way that they see the world, and you know I'd, I think I'd you know would be somewhat disingenuous to try to put that in a box um, and uh, you know control you know someone's tone or, or, or direction. I don't. That's probably not the no, most no, direct think, way of answering your question. That, no, but I think that's fair. I, I think we. Things. I think we now have enough evidence from from paying attention the last few years that leagues are kind of accepting mm-hmm. in the social media realm some more flexibility with messages. So mm-hmm. a league will put out a hashtag for a game, and if you go to that hashtag on let's say Twitter, sure. you're seeing some pretty oh, crazy yeah. stuff being written for sure. depending on the game. <laughs> but I'm sure on that game in particular because it was so uh, yeah it was so controversial. That's right. That's um, right. And it's not like the league's going in to say, shut down the hashtag, or we can't do this. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. They have to deal with it. Yeah. But it's also like you catalyzed this NFL, so yeah. you got to live with it. So I, so I think that answer actually I think makes sense. Um, there's got to be flexibility on both sides. And sure. look, if there was something really egregious and a partner called you and said, hey, Brian, not cool, mm-hmm. I'm sure you'd, you would probably just try to be a good partner and sure. maybe take it down. Sure. So, which probably should happen in more social media platforms, but that's a whole other <laughs> podcast. Um, so, all right, before I ask you the wrap-up questions, yeah. um, just quickly answer this question. Mm-hmm. What sports media or sports media apps do you use? And be honest, don't, and it can't be Wave, but what, what are you doing? Because it sounds like you're a pretty serious Cleveland sports fan. Yeah. Like, what's, um, what are your go-to products? Well... I mean, I certainly consume a lot of content, uh, you know, on Instagram across, okay. you know, both our content. What are some and, of your your, your, your favorite follows on Instagram? Um, you know, you actually, like? yeah. So there's this guy. Um, he goes by Savvy Amusing. <laughs> That's the handle. 
Yeah, he's that savvy he's, and using. He's so funny. He does like he must think highly of himself. He, he's he does <laughs> he does the best Magic Johnson voiceover, and I laugh every single time I, I see it. Um, so it counts with like a humorous undertone. Uh, yeah, yeah, usually I'm, get me, I but agree with you. but I mean I, I you know this might sound counterintuitive to you know to our business, but I'm also still one to go to a lot of games and. Right watch do you use ESPN game. for example oh, of like course ESPN. yeah, yeah of course yeah. Yeah. yeah and I love great journalism um so uh you know I will still read a Players Tribune or you know an undefeated article things yeah. of that nature mm-hmm. um I like to consume a lot of content yeah. <laughs> do you um yeah okay yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll stop there um I'm d- actually I have to ask yeah do you, do you like TikTok I think TikTok is one of the most fascinating platforms that I've seen. Um, the growth on there is explosive. It's amazing. I mean, we it's stunning. Well, we launched not terribly long ago, and you know, have you're like over 600k, right, or something like on, that on yeah. Wave TV, yeah. yeah, and then have other brands that have many hundreds of thousands of yeah. followers. So, I think it's a really interesting phenomena. Uh, they've been a great partner to work with. Um, so. You know, while it's still in the early days for us, you know, having launched not too long ago, you know, really excited to keep growing with them. Yeah, it's funny. I saw a great example of that that finally where I had the aha moment a few weeks ago. I don't know if you guys saw the 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 Dak dance viral video. I didn't see. Oh, I, well, I know Dak, the Dak dance. warming up. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah that's when like, he does the hip yeah, twist, yeah, 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 yeah. brings back the ball. Yeah, yeah. So someone did a TikTok of the Dak dance, um, and it was that game where. Ezekiel Elliott scored a touchdown, and his <laughs> celebration was the Dak dance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they brought in this great electronic, I don't want to say EDM, but like it was this great song. Yeah. And, it, and the timing was perfect. And I specific, and I saw, I don't know how I, maybe I saw it on Twitter actually, like, okay, that's really a smart way to show a, a, a fun highlight. And I went specifically, partly because I'm talking about this every week in the class and digital, I went to NFL.com. And I looked at their highlights, and I looked at that video of Ezekiel's touchdown, and it was just a straight highlight with no music. And it's like, okay, if I'm 15 years old, I know which one I'm going to watch. So it, it seems to me that it actually is a bit of a godsend in a way that it's kind of created this atmosphere of fun and levity yeah, yeah. you know, around stuff that typically was presented like mm-hmm. straight ahead. You know, yeah. eat your vegetables, watch these highlights yep. kind of stuff. Yep. So it's just an interesting point. Yep. Okay. So let's wrap uh, with a couple of uh, final questions. We ask all of our guests. I mm-hmm. gave you a fair warning, so hopefully you have a really clever answer. That's right. Um, you kind of just covered one of them a little bit, but more on the professional knowledge front, developing your uh, your insights and your knowledge as a CEO of a company, hiring a lot of people, doing a lot of deals. How do you stay smart? How are you keeping up with everything? I mean, I certainly read a lot. Um, read what? You know, I read industry-specific publications. Okay. You know, Name just, names. Hmm. Well, I'll read. You read SPJ? Yeah, I read SPJ. I'll read, you know, I think between Front Office Sports and Hashtag, they have good email newsletters. Um, You know, more traditional pubs, whether it's a Digiday, New York Times. Uh, I think reading the news is just important in general, you know, what's Mm -hmm. going on in the world. Of course, yeah. Uh, But then probably equally, you know, if not even more importantly in a sense, talk to and listen and meet a lot of people and you know kind of 
humble yourself in that sense mm-hmm. and you know, just learn from people in the industry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've been in this industry for a long, a long time. I think sports in general is a very relationship-driven business, mm-hmm. and um, you know, with with that in mind, I've always uh, placed a, a great level of importance on every single you know relationship that I've built over the years. That's great. Yeah. Are you a podcast listener for for business purposes? Not not Honestly, sports not. fandom. Not, the answer is you listen to the Columbia University Sports Podcast. <laughs> That's right. Least. That's yeah. right. Okay. I, I, Next I, time you're asked that question on the podcast, <laughs> you've got to at least say the name of that podcast. Well, now I'm going to. Now okay. I'm going to. All right. Uh, that's good. Um, all right. And then the, the second question is um, about careers and career advice. Uh, we've got a lot of young people listening, a lot of students in the program, some alumni, some prospective students. Etc. But you know, you're a relatively young guy, but you've done a lot. Uh, I, I'm a great admirer of entrepreneurs, uh, <laughs> particularly if they've if they built something pretty large. So you must have learned some good lessons along the way that you can uh, share with uh, others. Not necessarily just about entrepreneurism, but just like good career stuff. Like when you hire people, what kind of stuff do you look for? As an example. Um. I try to boil this down to a couple key points. One, I think it's in, incredibly important to, you know, stick to your gut and, you know, have conviction about what you're doing. And especially, you know, in, in our world, you get a lot of different people who, you know, are in your ear and think that you should be doing this or you should be doing that. And at the end of the day, um, while, you know, I could be here for days and days and days talking about all the people that have helped me and, and, and have helped us. Uh, you know, both personally and professionally, um, I think the success, you know, really kind of boils down to you as an operator and, you know, your conviction um, and your understanding of the market and the path forward. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's 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 one component. Uh, you know, I riffed on this a couple moments ago, but I can't, you know, you know I can't, uh, you know, underestimate the importance of just simply being nice to people. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like it's funny because we're taught that as young kids, but um, like no one wants to work with an asshole. I hope I'm hope allowed to say that on this. Yeah, but, this is HBO. Yeah, it's cool. But it's like <laughs> it's like the most simple thing in the world. It's like be nice to people. And no, no one's just, ever said that. We've been doing this show for what three and a half years. It's a it's a great yeah. piece of advice, by the way. So and, 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 <laughs> or practice the golden rules. I like to say. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and so. Um, yeah, because you never know like who that person is or when that when that relationship might come back, you know, to impact you mm-hmm. either positively or, or, or negatively. And um, what you're probably realizing in the sports business, it's that a loop small is world, continuous. Man, it, oh, it's cyclical; <laughs> it just keeps coming back around. Right. Uh, and, and and we take that into account when um, you know, when we hire people too. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, just like I know no asshole policy right. so you're around right. these people all day long right. um, I want to be around people that are, are good people that you know follow through on the things that they say they're going to do um, Brian and, do you, when you're yeah. hiring people for your media you're, mm-hmm. a, you're a digital media business mm-hmm. um, are, are you open to employees that really haven't embraced the practitionership of digital media like do you, do you need people that are kind of into it like that are 
somewhat or at oh, least somewhat active on social media or 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 um, uh, productive in some way. Yes and no. I mean, I think it also depends on the role that you're filling. Yeah, of course. Um, but yeah, I would say that you know I think we've done a pretty good job of of bringing in people from fairly you know diverse backgrounds. Um, you know, Kevin. Kevin Chai, who's one of our um, Snapchat producers, studied, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think economics and finance at Cal Berkeley, mm -hmm. and he just happens to have this like incredible eye for design, and now he's one of our our you know best content creators, and so right. he has he had no formal training right. discipline, and he's you know he's world class. So so. Um, there's, There's a lot of stories yeah. like that in, yeah. in social and social slash digital media, yeah. isn't there? There's, it's, yeah. it's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. It, at least on the content side, you know, having experience helps. Right. But I think um, most importantly, it's having your finger on on the pulse and just like understanding cool and understanding how to communicate. Yeah, yeah. You know, right. Well, all the changes that we talked about before, yeah. kind of accepting it and embracing it. Yeah. Are you hiring now? We are hiring. What kinds of positions? Um, really across the board. Finance, ops, partnerships, mostly LA. Because I don't think um, we mentioned that technically you guys are based in Santa Monica, correct? Yeah, we've got thirty or so people in Santa Monica, um, a handful here in. Oh, you do have a presence in New York. Okay. Yeah, we do have a presence here in New York, um, and then actually a little presence even in London too for football, soccer coverage. Okay, cool. All right. Well, for the New York crowd, we might be able to help you here. That's great. Uh, up in uh, Morningside Heights. <laughs> That's great. Uh, so we'll talk after the show. Um, all right. That was awesome. So oh, last thing you. is, where should everybody check you at? I know you have the House of Brands, so it's yes. not like you want to send everybody to Wave TV. Yeah. Um, but there is Wave TV on Instagram. I forget what it is yeah, on Instagram. Yeah, yeah. Like it's yep, Wave yep. TV, right? Yeah, Wave TV on Instagram, you know, on Snapchat, um, you know, on Discover. You know, we have Wave. We have Benchmob. Uh, I don't think these are live yet, but in a, a week or two, hopefully, there'll be um, you know, some other properties on Snap. Um, Do anything in esports, video gaming? Esports has has been a part of our coverage, you know, for quite some time now. Um, Any just, properties you'd want to call, call out right now? We do a great NBA 2K esports uh, video game segment on Break Ankles Daily. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, James is, is... That might be the best media name I've heard in a long time. Because I didn't great. know it until today. <laughs> um, Break Ankles Daily. Yeah, James is the main producer on, on uh, Break Ankles Daily and puts together a great awesome. 2K segment. All right, so everybody check out uh, all the different brands that go, That's that make right. up, that comprise uh, Wave TV. Brian, congratulations Thank on you. the success in two years. It's a great story. Um it's it's really amazing how from nothing you created something that is now so big in terms of its reach and influence. But it, it, it feels as though, like a few others that paved the way in, in this part of the business, uh, that you've gotten the formula down, and uh, and that's that's a really big achievement. So, good job. Oh, thanks for having uh, me. Yeah, no pleasure to have you. So we've been talking to are, are you the co-founder? Co-founder, yeah. Co yeah, yeah. To be clear, I know I, people get a little sensitive on founder <laughs> versus co-founder. Yeah, Ishan and I started yeah. it together. So Brian Vern is the co-founder and <laughs> uh, perhaps more importantly the CEO of Wave, the House of Brands. It's doing really great uh, digital media stuff in the sports world, all over the key platforms. So check them out. 
Uh, break ankles daily. Break ankles daily is the first one I'm going to be checking out there you cause, go. just because of the name. <laughs> uh, so that, I'll, I'll go there later. Um, and if anybody wants to get in touch with you or about any of these jobs, can they reach out somehow? Oh, yeah, I yeah. don't want to put you on the spot. No, I, I, I actually might um, as well try. I reply to just about everybody right. who yeah. reaches out to me. Okay, cool. Because that's what a lot of people did for me. And it's on, uh, so. for everybody. Uh, it's it's V E R N E. Correct. Like like Jules the author Verne. Jules Verne. That's right. Very good. I wasn't sure if I get that. <laughs> Twenty thousand leagues. I've thought see. of that as soon as I saw your name. <laughs> uh, okay, cool. Um, so thanks. Really appreciate it. Enjoy your time in New York City. Thank you. Good luck to the Browns the rest of the way. I'm not sure it. where the season's going, but I guess we'll find out in a few more weeks. That's right. Are they statistically alive? Yeah, we're still alive. Okay. Nine okay. and seven. Nine or and at seven. least at the time of this recording. In nine and seven <laughs> might get it done. Okay, cool. <laughs> well, good luck with that. Um, and thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks to our team here, especially Tom, Jackson, Roddy. Appreciate the help, you guys, uh, as we do these podcasts. But this hot new setup we have should be uh, should be good. So uh, check us out, guys, on Twitter. Follow the uh, Columbia University Sports account. Lots of good content coming from there. Joe Fav, I know hopefully you'll be listening to this if you stuck all the way through this conversation. Uh, sorry we didn't have you today, uh, but hopefully you get to meet Brian soon. We'll see you guys next time on the show.